0: welcome to our podcast
1: yeah thank you very much for the invitation much appreciated yeah thank Brilliant.
0: you uh thank you for coming on uh yeah just when you were new to the podcasting scene, so i just wanted to you know, <laughs> bear with us yeah yeah it's bear no with problem.
1: us no problem at all it's always about working together and Anyone that wants to speak to me at any time, it's always nice to be flexible and uh, and give a little bit back to the football community as well.
0: Yeah, Brilliant. yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming on. So yeah, yeah I'll well, just I'll just like to kick off the questions, then, shall I? Okay. Yeah, and just uh, I just wanted to ask you, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about what you do?
1: Okay, my name is James Rowe. I was born and raised in Great Britain, and at the age of twenty-one, I relocated to the Netherlands and Amsterdam yeah. in particular upon which I started out doing translation work for um, post- and pre-match press conferences for Dutch professional players and managers. And after doing that for about a year and a half, I decided to um, um, undertake the journey of doing my own interviews. And um, at the moment, I've gone over the threshold of 400 interviews with all levels of uh, players and managers from world football at all different levels, and my... Um, publishers have included in the past Football Aranha, World Football Index and also the Signal footballer website so it's great to look back on a, a very strong portfolio and also um, let people know not just about football but also be the people behind the player and the manager and the, the team behind the team as well
2: yeah,
0: Thank you very much Great portfolio you have there So It's a real honour to have you on our podcast Thank you yeah. Yeah. Over to Arwin then for the next question
2: well, after, after that, I was wondering about uh, the kind of uh, stories you've written and the, the kind of people you, you've worked with. Is there any that uh, stick out in particular?
1: Well, it's a great question. It's also a difficult question, I must say. Um, I always say, <laughs> yeah. guys, that I have what they call watershed interviews where things kind of go up a couple of levels. To give you an example, uh, the first major one was uh, current Portsmouth manager Danny Cowley. Um, I, put, I went through the official links to speak to him at Lincoln City, and I didn't hear anything back, and then all of a sudden, one Friday afternoon, my telephone rings, and I pick it up, and it says, hello, James, Danny Cowley, like, hello, <laughs> yeah, he said, James, he said, I must be honest, because uh, he said, I must be honest with you, I don't, very rarely, if ever, do I do any kind of telephone interviews, he said, but I've read some of your work, it's really, really good, and I'd be more than happy to help you, and then that's when I knew that the train had left the station, <laughs> and it's always about making sure that um, you do everybody justice. Obviously, being able to interview in different languages as well is vitally important in terms of being based in the Netherlands and being able to interview Dutch players and managers in their mother tongue. There's not many British football writers that can do that. So I'm in a kind yeah. of real niche market in terms of that respect. And it's just about making sure that you're you a little bit different than the rest. You know, you make sure that players and managers feel comfortable. There's no hidden agenda. There's no hidden angle. It's about letting people know what a player or manager has experienced. And, um, yeah, I look back with great pride with the likes of Graham Potter, who's now Brighton manager. Oh, and
0: wow, Viv-, yeah.
1: Viv Anderson, who was the first um, player to be, uh, black player to be fully capped by England, even though Laurie Cunningham was the first one at under-21 level. And also the likes of um, Trevor Steven, who played for Marseille and Glasgow Rangers, and uh, many, many others as well. Simon Barker, you know, when I spoke to him, he was the assistant chief, ex- ex- chief executive of the PFA. So it's great to have built such a fantastic network, but it's also nice to, you know, be in a position where, to give you an example, I spoke to um, current B L E L assistant manager, Immanuel Idiakas when he was um, a manager in his own right in in Cyprus. And now he's assistant to Unai Emily at BLAL. So it was nice to congratulate him on the WhatsApp when they secured their famous win in Turin last week. So it's nice to uh, to keep the network going, but also be modest at all times. uh, My main goal is to work on the media side of a professional football club one day, and I've only been doing this for, what, six years this coming summer. So things have gone really quickly. But it's about making sure that you you keep going and you keep working hard, and what will be will be. Brilliant,
0: yeah, brilliant. Fair play because you know you've 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 got you're in that niche market and you've got contacts with really top players and coaches, like as I've seen on your portfolio as well. Mm, thank you
1: and, very and much.
0: You, yeah, and as you, as you just said, like you've got uh, contacts, with, you know, as it, top clubs, like you said, Unai Emery's assistant, mm-hmm. who, who who started out at a smaller level and gone on to be of a top level.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely yeah. dice. It's like a player, you know, like a young player starting out at a small level, performing yeah. really, really well, getting noticed. I mean, I, I, um, I started out at Football Aranha, mainly doing translation work, and they published 35 of my interviews. And in the beginning, I was speaking to the likes of Daniela van der Donk, Jackie and Robert Molinar, who Leeds fans may remember. And I, th- I think they were a little bit surprised at the level of interviews that I was, a- I was able to attain. But that was mainly due to linguistic ability because in in the, in the past, it was very much curiosity from players and managers. There's a British guy based in Amsterdam who wants to interview me in, in, in my mother tongue. And they oh, wonder, yeah. they wondered how good I actually was. Whereas now, the reputation precedes me and supersedes me where, oh, it's James, is it? That's fine, I'll be free next Tuesday. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fantastic. But it's also making sure that you... You get your chances when they come. Like I did a um, a Dutch football podcast for World Football Index, and they were so impressed by the knowledge that they approached me as to whether they could publish my interviews. And they did. They published, uh, I think it was about 185 interviews before I uh, before I went on to pass this new. And also with the Sequel Footballer website, you know, that come out of the nowhere to have the same publisher as the books. To have the publisher come in for me and to have um, 60 interviews published with some quite big names in particular, the likes of Brian Roy, who uh, played for Nottingham Forest and played alongside Marcus Ambaston and Ronald Kuman, Also, the likes of Trevor Stephen, who played for Marseille, Andy Hunt, who was at Charlton, Franz Hook, who, of course, is the current assistant a uh, current goalkeeping coach, sorry, of uh, Louis van Gaal for the Dutch national team. So it's great to look back, look back on a great portfolio, but also with one eye towards the future as well.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great, that is. Uh, so uh, back to me for the next question. So, uh, you know, as, as you said, you've got loads of lot like, contacts internationally and, um, you know, uh, this year there's going to be a World Cup. So how do you think holding a World Cup in like such a unique nation such as Qatar will impact the game as a whole? And do you think it's a controversial arrangement, so to speak?
1: Well, first and foremost, I think it's a great question. First and yeah, foremost, thank you. It's a, great, it's a great question. And it's Thanks. every World Cup from the inception until the current day has always had its own rhythm, always had its its own difficulties. And yeah. um, it, it is what it is. You know, this is, for me, for all the controversy of Qatar, which is, is well documented, for me, yeah. th- this World Cup is also the last one before it gets completely ruined. You know, it yeah. goes to, it goes to forty eight participants in twenty twenty six. Yeah, and I and this tournament started out with 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 four, four, eight, sixteen, twenty four, thirty two, and then forty eight. And you see, with the playoffs tomorrow night, um, what I'm mm. about to say might sound controversial. But I believe the playoffs for tomorrow night in UEFA are completely unnecessary. Because what you're doing is you're giving another four places to yeah. a nation that already has ten of them. And if if you look at all the different confederations, you know, the, the World Cup is, is the games that stay in the memory, guys, are the games that don't come around too often.
2: Yeah. You know, yeah.
1: I really enjoyed in the last World Cup, Portugal-Uruguay. That's one of the best World Cup yeah. games I think I've ever seen, you know, because mm, of the yeah. different contrasting styles between Fernando Santos and Oscar de Bares. Going back into the history as well with my first ever World Cup um, in 1990, I was a little bit too young to consciously remember what happened in 86, but remembering England with Cameroon and the likes of Cyril Makanaki and Bieg and Tomas Nkono, these are names that live in the memory, because it's something that you don't see very often. and um, So I think it's going to be a very, very interesting World Cup. I think the heat will play a massive factor, and I think that the African definitely. nations, as well as the South American nations, will do very well.
0: Yeah, that's very true indeed. Uh, it's going to be a very you know, different one in terms of it's, it's the first Arab country to host it as well, and I feel yeah. like it's a uh, lucrative factors are definitely something that has kind of been a charger for that. And also going on to another issue within sport. Owen, oh, do you want to take this question about sports washing?
2: Yeah, yeah I, just, I just wanted to ask um, what you thought about um, the term sports washing, and, and do you think it's uh, becoming more prominent in, in the game of football uh, with uh, Manchester City and in recent years with um, Newcastle being purchased? Well, I've, I think you see how the landscape of football has changed. You know where you see, mm.
1: particularly in England, you see um, it's, it's, it's a massive attraction, and clubs yeah. can make progress extremely quickly. You know, for for those of us that are old enough to remember uh, Manchester City Gillingham in the um, in the late 90s, back in 1999, where if Gillingham would have got promoted to Manchester City and hadn't have done, would they be in the current position they are today? So yeah, it's a domino effect. Isn't yeah, it? and a, I think a lot of people in football. Fans in particular, some of them have short memories. You you see nowadays with the the hype surrounding players in particular, and um, this this will make you laugh. it will be like a bit of a funny anecdote. Um, I'm not just a football writer, but also an Arsenal supporter. And yeah, before I'm COVID, aware. Before COVID, I would return to Arsenal to to watch them play home and away. Not every every week, of course, living in Amsterdam, but maybe four or yeah. five times a season, and then. Um, I did um, shortly before um, um, the end of last season. I did a, I did a, um, I, did a I did a podcast where um, a Arsenal on Arsenal fan on an Arsenal fan channel decided to tell me that Reese Nelson is a better player than Mark Albrighton, and I was stunned. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was stunned because my, I, I rate Mark Albrighton so highly. Yeah. How yeah. how he has not been capped by England it's a complete mystery to me. Mm.
0: You
1: know, this is this is a player who was as important to Leicester in their championship-winning season than as Jamie Vardy and Riyad Mahrez and Wes Morgan and Robert Hood.
0: Yeah, he was great that season, yeah. And
1: he's, you know, to, to be a Premier League winner, FA Cup winner and Charity Shield winner with Leicester City of all teams, we're not talking about the big three of England, is mm. testament to him. I think he's got a fantastic work ethic. And you... The, the proof was in the pudding um, two weeks ago when they're coming up against a really informed Rennes team. And if people were paying attention as to what Rennes are doing in France, because people seem to think that it's all about Paris Saint-Germain and no other teams exist. If you pay attention to what Rennes are doing, they were um, they were 4-0 up away at Lyon inside an hour. They've got some tremendous numbers. Wow. They, they they beat Mets 6-1 at home last weekend. And there's more Mark Albright and coming up against a really good Ren side, providing a goal and an assist. And I just think he's, an, he's a testament, he's a, he's a credit to his profession. He's a brilliant footballer. And um, it was just really interesting when the Arsenal fans in particular, they, they seem to be led by the price tag guys. Oh, he's worth 50 million and he must be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> But you can't pass yeah. the for ten yards, and and so, but you know, and it's like it's like now with Champions League football. Um, I say this as an Arsenal supporter. Yeah. Arsenal are not ready for Champions League football.
0: You don't but yet, think, well. but
1: but people seem to think it's going to be okay. I, I can tell you from my own experience, having prioritised European games from Amsterdam when Arsenal were playing European football, it's not nice to, to come all the way from Amsterdam to London to see your team get beat by Monaco and Ostersund. It's yeah, not nice. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, but also the disdain. I mean, I remember queuing up at the turnstiles to go in to watch Arsenal-Monaco. And the guy behind me said, oh, we'll, we'll batter this lot 4-0 tonight. And my response was, I turned around and said to him, I said, excuse me, you are aware that they topped a group with Bayer Leverkusen, Benfica and Zenit St. Petersburg. So, so the, the away games in particular is is a feat within itself. So they're a very mm-hmm. good team, and they had players like uh, Subasic, Berbatov, Kalasco, Kondogbia. Uh, yeah, they did have a good team. Like so, uh, as poor as Arsenal were that night, they were fantastic, and um, just goes to show that in European football there are no easy games in European football at all.
0: Yeah. Don't remind me about those traumatic Champions League nights back <laughs> then. <laughs> yeah, but that, that does lead me on to the next question, actually, seeing you he's speaking on the topic of Arsenal. So as you're an Arsenal fan like myself, uh, what do you make of the project Mikel Arteta is building in terms of opting for a younger team? And do you agree with his ambitions? And where do you see us in the next few seasons?
1: Uh, well, it's a great question. I, I, I cannot believe, and, and people might say to me, Oh, um, he's in contact with um, Unai Emery's assistant and that kind of thing. I've, I've, I've not spoken to Unai Emery. I, yeah. uh, I'd like to think he's read my interview with his assistant when his assistant was a manager, but I've not spoken to him. But I still cannot get my head around Unai Emery didn't lose seven games on the spin. just didn't win in seven games. And I was at the Frankfurt game where we came up against an excellent goalkeeper in Frederic Renault who made save after save after save, upon which U- Aubameyang Abame- left the pitch laughing. Because I watched him do it. I was trying <laughs> to goal. And uh, I watched him do it. And um, I still fa- found it strange how Unai Emery wasn't given the time. And then he goes and wins the Europa League with BL Bial- at Arsenal's expense.
0: Yeah, um, literally the following season.
1: Yeah, that is your start of the ten. And when you look at the players they've got, like Alphonse uh, Pedrassa, um, Jeremy Pino, um, yeah. and also uh, Capoue, for example and um, Danny Perejo. you know they I'm sure the BLF, BLL fans are not um, moaning amongst themselves as to whether he's worth 50 million or whether he's worth 30 million or however good he is I still thought it was an oversight to to appoint someone with no managerial experience and and that for people to get into the deepest to the Pep Guardiola Mark II but little do you know where did Pep Guardiola get his where did where did where did Pep get his ideas from?
0: Yeah, it's true. Yeah. But are, are you are you Arteta or you not? After?
1: Well, I'm an Arsenal fan first and foremost, and oh, I, yeah, I have to, I have to accept what um, the current club are doing, and I support my football club, and I want Arteta to do well. But I don't think long term that we're going to win a league title under Mikel Arteta. And I certainly yeah. don't think we're going to win the European trophy under Mikel Arteta, but that's just my personal opinion. It was yeah. just the way that it, what made me quite, what made me laugh quite a lot is that people are saying, "Oh, it's Pep Guardiola Mark II." Well, Pep Guardiola got his ideas from Johan Cruyff, yeah. and Johan Cruyff got his ideas from Rinus Michels. So it's not just elusive yeah. to just one person. It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and um, just goes to show, really.
0: It's like the next generations, isn't it?
2: They're passing exactly. it on. Mm. It's going to take some time to, for him to get to that level. Absolutely. The longer, the I yeah, think absolutely. with, with uh, Bamiang's doing very well at um, Barcelona at the minute, and I think every time he scores, Piers Morgan goes on a rant about how, uh, <laughs> exactly. how yeah. Mikel Arteta just let him go for free, wasn't it?
0: So we're well, doing well without him. I think he worked out well for both parties. Yeah, right, He's I doing sure. well, we're doing well. So Well, if, 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 you, look at,
1: if, if, you, if you study his history... I know Arsenal fans don't like to do this, but the clue, <laughs> the, the, clue, the clue is in the history. If you are sent away from AC Milan, and AC Milan, AC Milan of all places, due to attitude and disciplinary problems, that's your start of a 10. And the same problems have dogged him throughout his career, where he starts off like a rocket. Happened at St happened at Etienne, happened at Dortmund, happened at Arsenal... It's happened at Barcelona, and then that yeah. that will slowly fizzle out. That will f- slowly fizzle out. I mm. mean, he's a, a very good striker, Aubameyang, but I still can't quite understand how you know, a club that is in so much debt as Barcelona can still knock on the door of Goldman Sachs and ask them for a loan of 650 million euros.
2: <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah, yeah. so uh, back to you, Owen, for the next question. Um, I was I was wondering if it's like um working for a company such as Talksport and having to speak on uh various topics and also important ones.
1: Enjoyable. It's very yeah. enjoyable and um but there's also a little bit of pressure and excitement to make sure that you uh that you get everything right mm. and always having to give that nugget of information. I think the last biggest uh news that I had to break was obviously Philip Kaku when he um became Derby County Manager. And it was nice to elaborate oh, yeah. on his time at PSV Eindhoven, and, and, um, and obviously his time as a player, you know, and what he achieved in terms of leadership. And the, the the people were very professional, also with the Dutch national team against England in the Nations League. That was that was a, a nice game to cover and to preview because it when England played the Netherlands. I, I was born in London. I speak I speak English with a with a London accent, but I I've lived almost two decades in the Netherlands so when when, well. England, when, <laughs> when England come up come up against the Netherlands that
0: controversial. I, just want, I
1: just want to see a good game of football' because yeah. I've got my country of birth which formed me as I am as a man, and yeah. then the country which gave me the most successful and happiest period of my life so when oh, when yeah. you, when when those two come together. You, you you just want to to see a good game of football. So yes, a yeah, bit of a conflict. Forward, yeah, as, although I'm looking forward to the World Cup, I hope at every single stage of that World Cup that they avoid one another. But I know yes. I know I know at some point it could well be a, a round of sixteen game or a a quarter yeah. final. But we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah,
0: yeah. it's going to be like um, Frankie De Jong versus Bukayo Saka.
1: Exactly, two wonderful footballers and two yeah. extremely mature men. You know, yeah. wise, wise beyond their years. I mean, Bukayo Saka, you know, giving his chance by really, which a lot of people forget. forget
0: yeah, it's true. So, so
1: mature and 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 the, the Euro 2020 final as well. To have the courage to stand up and take a penalty in a European Championship final at the age of 19 yeah, is, exactly. is nothing short of incredible. It's mean, nothing, uh... no, nothing short of incredible. And one thing that must be said is for, for the horrible, horrible, awful abuse that they received, which yeah. is indefensible. Exactly. What I don't understand is people giving that abuse. Did they not look at the images of Southgate beforehand, where he spent all of 15 seconds trying to double check and convince players to take a penalty in a European Championship final? even at mm. amateur level they wouldn't spend 15 seconds and it was just it just appeared so so rushed and so um, Yeah. cuz I've got my free to take the penalty and um you know if if there was a Jamie Vardy on the pitch you know if there was a Jamie Vardy on the pitch in the in the semi-final against the, against Croatia for example from the very beginning you know yeah. things could have well been a little bit different but w- when you have the most dangerous striker in England saying to the England manager now you're right I'm not that fast I'm sure he is fast and on, on what I don't quite get is uh, can uh, can Harry Kane and Jamie Vardy not play together
0: uh, yeah. are, are, are yeah. they not, are they not
1: allowed to play together
2: yeah what do you and, and,
1: what and you sh-
0: have, Sorry you uh,
2: sorry sorry yeah. carry on, man. Yeah, carry on I, James. I
1: just wanted to finish the point and, and then you have like, for example, Gary Lineker. I, I really respect Gary Lineker. Wonderful footballer, played abroad, also learned fantastic Spanish, absolutely amazing. But yes. when you've got Gary Lineker saying, yeah, I'm not sure if 4-4-2 is the way to go, organised systems and fantastic footballers will always give you a, an amazing chance. And if England was to have Harry Kane and Jamie Vardy together, then it could, it could well have been decisive, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. yeah it's true like James Bond decided to uh, retire from internationals quite early actually I would yeah. Yeah. yeah and
1: if I'm England manager I'm knocking on your door every day of the week saying when have mm. you got five minutes for me to change your mind
2: yeah exactly yeah.
0: so Owen uh, do you want to go on next what's your life uh, next oh, I was just
2: going I had a quick question about obviously, yeah, we, obviously we spoke about that whole there's a lot of uh, that. the main a, a lot of the uh, that, that tournament was um, speaking about uh, racism and talking about um the online hate that people get. What did you think about the terrible abuse that those free penalty takers got? And did you did you have to talk about it in, on, in online or on on, on Talksport or anything similar to that? Uh,
1: no, I didn't talk about it on Talkspot, but I found it indefensible.
2: Yeah, I think, absolutely.
1: I think first and foremost, people can always learn. People can can always learn. You know, nobody's nobody's nobody's, nobody's finished, but. Well, it's not just the indefensible abuse of those three players. It's also the, the thought process of the perpetrators. Yeah. Like, like, that's why I wanted to give the example just now for anybody listening. Rather than have a go at Saka, Sancho and Rashford, why not have a go at Southgate for spending all of 15 seconds trying to convince them to take a penalty? That's five exactly. seconds each. You're talking about the highest possible level. Five seconds. <laughs> and, then, right. and then you've got Jack Grealish saying, oh, I wanted one. I wanted to take one, but they. You wanted me. to take the next one, yeah, yeah. but they wouldn't let. But they wouldn't let me. Now, at, at the highest level, the smallest details make the the biggest difference. What may seem um, lower down the level is to be something that's not important. At the highest level, it really is. So the abuse was nothing short of uh, horrific. But those three um, men have, have acquitted themselves fantastically well. And all three of those players will go on to better things during their career, certainly at club level. And let's hope they'll go on to achieve even more respect at international level as well.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah,
0: definitely. Uh, So um, I'll I'll dial the next question, shall I? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Okay, So um, when did you make up the Super League proposal is another controversial topic and how quickly it was arranged as well, and then withdrawn so soon after. And do you think you'll return with an altered approach, such as with promotion and relegation and not fixed teams? Because i heard some rumours that that might happen.
1: Well, first and foremost, it's, it's a well game. You know, yeah. it's, 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 not, it's, it's not a closed shop. It should never be a closed shop, otherwise we wouldn't yeah. be able to have the stories that we've had with Leicester. We wouldn't be yeah, able definitely. to have the stories, like, for example, Wolverhampton Wanderers, people might remember, they suffered two consecutive relegations. Uh, Not so so long ago, and now they're fighting for Champions League football. Football, as in life, is completely unpredictable. You you don't know what's around the corner, and you can't... This American system of no relegation, it's because they don't understand it, and they only understand winning. It's all about... There has to be a winner. They they still don't understand the the concept of a draw. I mean, I've seen MLS games firsthand in Los Angeles and New York and Washington. And as recently as 2017 was the last game that I saw there, and um, even the crowd was, um, everything is is as amazing and world class. So a simple yeah. cross to provide a goal, simple cross that we would view in their eyes is just nothing short of amazing. So there's yeah. still some some education to be done there, but I think it's very much with the owners where the the money involved is mm. just
0: you know yeah the lucrativeness again yes
1: yeah, yeah but. but they also have to remember these owners that you know i'm not religious or anything but we're all going to the same place and we can't yeah. take our money with us exactly so you know, so, you know they have to yeah. be have to be aware of those things and also that you know you can't use a club you can't leverage a club for your own means you've you've got to uh invest in it you've got to look after it because like with anything in life that you own whether it's a car whether it's a a house or a special special memento, if you don't look after it, it, it will it will rust and start to decay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah that's true. It's a very interesting take though, to be fair.
2: We have obviously spoke about the, the Super League and obviously these, these we touched on owners there. How do you reckon the uh, current international tension will affect football and, and sport in general and particularly things like uh, Roman Abramovich being forced to sell Chelsea.
1: Well, in an ideal world, uh, sport and politics will be kept apart in an yeah. ideal world. But I can understand why that's been, that's been, that's been done. But I think Chelsea yeah. fans was always, always knew that the day that Roman would leave was going to come.
2: Mm. But
1: I don't think they thought it was going to happen this way. Yeah. And um, it's just a, another part in the history of, of the club. You know, when you look what Glenn Hoddle did when he arrived at Chelsea, he made them... Uh, made them a very attractive team to watch winning their first trophy in 26 years in the FA Cup. And, um, you know, the story that, that Chelsea have, I mean, to win the Champions League twice, you know, I always thought that my team would be the first London club to win it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what it meant to we, had, we had an amazing chance and, and let that go. But um, I think with international football, I think um, what they've got to do is they've got to, at um, least be more respectful to um, to other countries. And also, in terms of of the the um, justification of playing i mean for example what you have now is for the <coughs> excuse me for the players that have the privilege and i say privilege for the players that have the privilege of choosing between different nations maybe their mother is french maybe their father is german um they have a, a huge privilege and you would hope yeah. that they would choose with their heart because that's the most important thing And then you see with the, the changing of the rules where they're going to allow, they're going to allow players to make it even easier for them to play for one team and then subsequently change to another. But when you read the synopsis, synopsis as why this is happening and the reasons as to why this is happening, you are receiving footnotes like, oh, players choose a certain country and then they kind of fall out of favor and get forgotten about. And therefore, don't receive any playing minutes. When it, yeah. it really, it should be about honour. It, sh- it should be about representing your people and the people that you love and the people that you care about. It shouldn't be about, oh, I can get more minutes at one country than, an, than another, for yeah. example.
0: Yes, yeah, very, very, very true. I feel like um, you, as you said, uh, football and politics should be kept apart, and I feel like it's in, definitely in, 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 becoming in a huge an ideal factor. World,
1: yes, in an ideal yeah. world, yes, most definitely.
0: Yeah, just like uh, just just like politics, I think um, finances is becoming like a dominating factor in terms of the actual game itself. If you know what I'm I- trying to say, like with the Super League proposal, like with Chelsea, uh, you know, having having to be sold and things like that.
1: Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And I always say as well, with England, they've had Capello and and Ericsson as as foreign managers, and people yeah. said, "Oh, that's okay, that's all, all right." And I, everyone has their own opinion, but I always say to people that advocate that. Um, how would you feel if you had a prime prime minister? How would you feel yeah. if you had Macron being prime minister of Great Britain? If you had yeah. uh, uh, Olaf Scholz being um, uh, Germ- being in the um, the French prime minister, for example, you know, same same thing. You know, when you yeah. are national team manager, you are the um you are the figurehead of that country in terms of national football. And, and, and if, you are, if you come from outside and you have no command of the local language of the local, local culture, it can become very difficult. You, you see a fantastic breakthrough moment with Senegal. Cisse was in charge for eight years and he built that oh, yeah. side and they've won the African Cup of Nations. It's, exactly. a, it's a fantastic story and you hope that the rest of Africa will look at that now and think, oh, you know, maybe someone from our own country is the way to go in that respect.
0: Yeah, he's a national hero in Senegal as well, yeah.
1: And it's also a fantastic incentive um, and a fantastic example for the next generation.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I think it's about staying true to your values and mm, yeah, being patriotic and being speaking about nations. Absolutely. Well. Yeah, so over to you, Owen, again.
2: Um, coming back to the, um, the the Netherlands connection, are there any examples of uh, sports washing in in those kind of clubs, or or is a fact is a racial um, disparity in in those leagues?
1: Well, we've had obviously the um, the obviously Petaisa Arnhem, who have a, a fantastic youth set-up, had a, a Georgian owner, and there were links to Abramovich and links mm. to, to Russia. But um, obviously, here we have you know, Ajax final, PSV, the big three, said, Alekmaar and Vitesse are the two clubs that have made the most progress in recent years. FC Utrecht have fallen away. And yep. um in terms of um, any disparity, they do make a massive um, effort to make sure that the education of young players mm. uh, and having spoken to many young players that come through the Ajax Youth Academy in particular, they are taught from a young age to respect their fellow teammates, to respect their, Coaches and their opponents and the referees, so that there's no um, there's no um, arrogance in terms of thinking that they are better. You know, they are yeah. strong, they are stronger together. And the the, ma- the massive key to that is also is also education. You know, yeah. we, we live in 2020 and the world has changed and, and things developed. But education is the most important thing in that respect. Yeah, hundred
0: uh, percent. Shall I just have the next question? Yeah, of course. Okay, um, so obviously going on to the racial thing again. So as that's like such a prominent issue nowadays, do you think there's a racial divide still in the modern game? With still not so many cultures and players of ethnic minorities, such as for example British Asians, achieving success at a high level. And what do you think could be changed about this and minorities uh, getting abused after defeat, such as obviously as you said with the England players?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, the people giving the abuse must understand the inner workings of the game. That yeah. I was making the point about Saka, Sancho, and uh, and Rashford. That people say, mm-hmm. oh, they missed a the penalty. They're awful. They're Vista. That uh, you know, this, you've got a manager spending all of fifteen seconds on all three players trying to convince them to take a penalty. So mm-hmm. I would give the I would give the blame to Southgate before I give the blame to any of those three players. But that's just my personal opinion. You see a, a lot of people uh, tweeting things and then repenting afterwards as to, uh, <laughs> to uh, written certain things. And um, in terms of of giving people from all backgrounds a chance, it is is extremely important. It is extremely important. And a a great example I wanted to give was, um, I was recently, um, I say recently, it was a a while ago, I interviewed um, the former coach of uh, India and um, Malawi and Rwanda, and he was uh, from London. And um, he was telling me that when he was in charge of India, he gave during his time 49 players their debut. And he said the pride Uh of the Indian players in particular was, was nothing short of incredible, you know, for their family and for their people and how much it meant for them. And I think that people need to understand as well, that we have a lot in great Britain, for example, of second or third generation who were, who were born in great Britain, raised in great Britain. They they are British. They're not, they're not outside they are they are one of us they they are like us they are They yeah. are the same. There is no difference, but unfortunately people um they they learn from what's gone before or they they carry on what they've been told rather than finding out their own opinions and um It's very important at all levels to respect players, managers, even fellow fans as well. It's also vitally important. Mm-hmm. You see lots of um fans going to games now where where things happen. And um, I think a lot of the perpetrators kind of showed themselves up, really, as to, be, as mm. to the uh, as to the kind of um, education that they need to receive in that respect.
0: Yeah, I think it just comes back to the factor of uh, patriotism as well, as you said about a small country like, like in terms of football, India isn't so much of a, a big country in that respect. But so mm. to give those players the opportunity must have been like a huge moment for them, really.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and also also the the, the pride as well, and, and Stephen as well. He had um, you know, to manage Malawi when he was saying that, you know, they didn't put the players up in a hotel; they put them up they put them up in dormitories, and he had to yeah. go around he had to go around to the local expat community to to to, to um, receive contributions to buy uh, mosquito nets because malaria is a huge huh. problem in La Malawi.
0: Yeah,
1: so it, it just goes to show, but that's what I love. Doing with my interviews is it's not just about the football side; it's also about the the human element as well. Yeah,
0: you know, yeah, much, humanity. To, yeah.
1: yeah, to to be told by um, Trevor Stephen that he turned down Manchester United because because Ra- Rangers was the place to be, and uh, yeah. when he arrived when he arrived at Marseille, he was told by um, Carlos Mosera, a famous and well well respected Brazilian defender, that you will never ever play for a club like this ever again. Such a separate republic, Marseille. And so yeah. enjoy every single minute, which he did. And uh, you know he played alongside Didier Deschamps and Chris Waddle oh, in a, wow. in, a, in an amazing Marseille team. You know, so that yeah. I, I, my personal opinion is that I still view Marseille to be um, the biggest club in France, and um, yeah, doing well in the Europa League at the moment. They've got some great players. I think uh, I think at, te- at the risk of tempting fate, I think the uh, the Conference League could well be maybe a Leicester Marseille final. I think.
0: <laughs> maybe yeah and we've got one of our boys over there as well William Saliba I'm yep. wrong well. and I've heard he's doing well got a call up to France as well
1: yes I hope that he um, makes the right decision for him in the um, in the summer in terms of what he's going to do because mm. um, if you think of uh, Wesley Fafana at Leicester they played together yeah. both at St Etienne and yeah. he, when Saliba left first you wouldn't think that it would have been Fafana who made more progress in his career at, um, starting at a later date than what uh, Saliba did. But it just goes to show that, um, you know, players are often told things that don't come to fruition. I don't know, do you remember do either of you remember Philip Sandler, uh, the guy with the curls who signed from Peck's Waller to Manchester Manchester City?
2: Um,
0: um, I'm not sure. How I was, to it know, out. Well,
1: he's recently returned to final in the summer transfer window. Oh, and uh, yeah. and um, they said um I was one of the, f- the first people to interview him when the news broke that he was leaving from Peck Swallow to Manchester City. And I said to him, I yeah. said, how on earth does a player go from uh, Peck Swallow, you know, a, a, a mid-table team in the Eredivisie to Manchester City? And he yeah. said to me, James, they really sold it to me. He said, they told me that I would be training with uh, Sergio Aguero and David Silva. He said, I remember my medical taking an absolute age. So... Uh, it just goes to show yeah. at the top level, if they really want to get you, they'll, f- they'll try to find an angle to get these players. And unfortunately, he hardly played for Manchester City. But yet, in his new deal for finals, the Manchester City have constructed such it's constru- instru- constructed in such a way where if they want to have him back, they can call him back. So it just goes to show that at the top level of football the, how... how Different the deals are and how well constructed mm. they are. That um, players must choose very wisely.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I'll say. Like, it just shows that like, clubs like Manchester City and you know the question of sports washing and how the top clubs have luxuries to make deals like that. So, do you reckon like it's causing a golfing class between the top teams and everyone else in the footballing pyramid?
1: Um, well, I think in terms of, um, I think we see different gaps within the Premier League itself now. And mm. um, I think the money involved in the Premier League, where clubs are hell bent on staying in the Premier League, I mean, you take Marcelo Bielsa. I still yeah. don't think that story gets enough credit. It's yeah. a it's akin to Simeone rocking up at Nottingham Forest. It's akin uh-huh. to Pep Guardiola rocking up at Sheffield Wednesday.
2: Mm.
1: It's so it's okay. something that doesn't happen. And Leeds obviously they were they're frightened of relegation, so they sacked the manager who, if it wasn't for Bielsa, they wouldn't be in the exactly.
0: position. Exactly. After how didn't... many seventeen years was it?
1: Exactly, but not but not yeah. just that. People love to talk about Pochettino. Pochettino went to re- seek reassurance from Bielsa as to whether he could become a manager. Pep Guardiola yeah. did exactly the same. Mm. And I am mm. certain if you give. If you was to give Bielsa the embarrassment of riches that Manchester City have, or that a Manchester United has, or that a Barcelona or Real Madrid has, I think you'd see something exceptionally special. Definitely. But yeah. um, I think... Uh, and also his replacement, Jesse Marsh. To have only yeah. four months at Leipzig, yeah. that's not that doesn't bode well to, to manage one of the best clubs in England, does it? And yes, they, mm, had, a yeah, great, they had a great it's result. It's an American coach you, as well.
0: Something but there, different.
1: there's so many... Good managers. I mean, you see the reports of Eric Ten Hag at Manchester United, yeah.
0: but
1: his own personal go. preference is is to go to Germany, and he's he's made that no really? he's made that no secret. And if I was Borussia Dortmund after a difficult season, I would look to um, secure his services.
0: Yeah, yeah, and there might there might be uh, getting rid of Erling Haaland as well. So Just probably what well, want, want to get someone like that as a manager.
1: Well, I think that the finances surrounding. Uh, um, Highland, I, I think his I think his father is going to make a lot of money purely on the basis of the fact that he is his father. So yeah, I think that just yeah. that just goes to show, doesn't it?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously, looking at the Leeds United situation, they like going from Marcelo Bielsa to Jesse Moore, What do you make of that appointment? Like, obviously, it's a, a country like a, a person from a foreign country has come here, and like American countries aren't really proven at this level. But I think he could be someone who could change that. Do you reckon, like Poss- uh, possibly? possibly.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> but it depends in the short term if he does manage to if he does manage to stay up. I mean, obviously Bob Bradley before him. Um, yeah, I think, but it's a massive risk by Leeds. You, you would have <laughs> hoped that they would stick. You know, it, I, I still think Bielsa would have kept Leeds up, and um, yeah. you know, it's it's an amazing story. You know, it's a, an amazing, amazing story. I mean, Bielsa managed Argentina. I mean, there's a, there's a famous. Um, story about Javier Mascherano where you know he's playing i think in the in, i think in the, the second team of a, a mid mid-table Argentinian team and Bielsa calls the manager up and he says um, you've got a player called Javier Mascherano he's going to be world class <clears throat> mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me he's going to be world class you need to pick him and the manager said, "Who who are you?" I, I, don't, I don't and, then, <laughs> and, then, and then and what happens? He goes on to have an absolutely stellar career. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think that Marcelo Bielsa has been exceptionally hard done by, and I hope Leeds don't come to rue their decision. But you know, football has also has also shown that if you stick if you stick with your manager and you give him time, and it, there's a great quote from Arsene Wenger where. He says what what's wrong in the modern day football, and I I agree is that people appear to be too um, frightened to make decisions that might not be popular, you yeah. know, to stick to their beliefs. You know, if a player's worth 150 million pounds, he must be amazing. But you know, they don't look. Can he pass? Can he dribble? Can he shoot? You know, and um, mm. it's about st- sticking with um, with managers. And for example, Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard in the first instance, guys, looked odds-on to become Ipswich manager. And then it, really? when, he had, when he had the job interview at Ipswich, his, uh, his information that he gave to Harry Redknapp was he was unsure about the Ipswich job because they've got no money. And then he ends up at Derby with Mel Morris, who have got a lot of money. So it, it just goes to show. But, um, yeah, I think it's important to always give managers time. And I wish Arsenal would have done that with Unai Emery, but it wasn't meant to be. I have to respect what it is with Mikhail Atetema as well. And mm-hmm. also, how many football managers are out of work? There's hundreds of them. Yeah, There's hundreds, hundreds of good football managers that don't have a job. And yeah. um, so it, it just goes to show. But I think it's important for clubs to to stick by their managers and um, and and show be be courageous in that respect.
0: Yeah, like it's a crowded market of managers for sure. But mm. yeah, that's all i was saying about Marshall coming. Like, I mean, he's an American coach; they're not, they're not as reputable in European football. But I feel like he's a anomaly in that respect because he's trying to be the first of his yeah. kind to kind of, you know, mm. make it at the top level. Great to see. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: I'll win over to you.
2: I was going to ask you about um. Obviously, you mentioned Ten Hag, and he's he's obviously a Dutch manager as well. And we've had uh, Ed Coleman, who was at Everton, and then we had to get the uh, Barcelona job, and. Lou Louis van Gaal at Man United. Now there might be another Dutch manager coming in. What do you think about uh, that appointment? And what, what do you think about someone who, someone listening to this who's from, who looks at English football and doesn't know too much about his side of the game?
1: Well, he's extremely astute, extremely mm. clear in his methods. Uh, he did some amazing work at not just Ajax, but also Go Ahead Eagles in particular. Yeah. When he arrived at Go Ahead Eagles when they were in the first um, division, they were staring into the abyss financially. They, yeah. looked as if they looked yeah. as if they were going to go under and he managed to to pull them back and, and went to work in Germany with the reserve team of Bayern Munich um, I think this may well be his last season in um, Amsterdam I think with what's going on at Ajax and the, the changes at the club but I think I'm not too sure if Manchester United will be his destination his, his personal preference is that he wants to go to Germany he's said that on, on many occasions uh, I know yeah. that he turned down. I think he turned down pushing Manchester Glad back. Yeah, but yeah. they're also a massive football club, and, you know. And um, but I think um, be interesting that you, I also saw that Manchester United were, were talking to Pocatino and uh, Luis Enrique and Udon, uh Lopetegui. So they've got some yeah. big choices to make, Manchester United. But um, you know, Ferguson's almost retired, almost ten years soon, and yeah. they've got to get that they've got to get that appointment right sooner rather than later.
2: Definitely.
0: Yeah. They haven't been the same since, but obviously, as no. you said about Ten Hag, he's just another one like Arteta, young coach coming through. I, I can't remember who it was they used to work with, assistant. Was it Pep Guardiola or Ralph Rangnick? I'm not sure. Mm, I no. remember he was a top manager.
1: Yes, well, he, obviously when he was at Bayern Munich, Pep Guardiola was in charge of the yeah, first. Yeah,
0: So yeah, So uh,
1: they obviously worked together in that respect, but... He's all, he did a great job at, at Go Ahead Eagles in particular. done a great job at FC Utrecht as well. He had FC no, Utrecht yeah, playing, some, yeah. Yeah, playing some wonderful stuff. And, um, you know, I think he's ready for the next step. But to, to go from the Eredivisie to um, the Premier League is, is a bit of a jump because um, playing away to um, Fortuna Sittard and playing away to Willem II and FC Utrecht and then going away to Manchester United, Arsenal and Liverpool are two completely different things. Yeah. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens.
0: Yes, yeah, it's, it's very true. Great insights from you, James. i just got a few more questions now then. Uh, so obviously you've spoken about, you got a massive portfolio of people you've spoken to. So with your interviewing expertise and experience, mm-hmm. uh, who who would you say are some of the most interesting people out of everyone you've covered? Uh, and what, would you, what did you learn from them?
1: Well, um, I think... There's been so many. I'm so fortunate with over 400. I, I think to pick out a couple that meant an awful lot, obviously being an Arsenal supporter, to interview Bob Wilson was very, very special. Yes. To interview the, the living legend that is Bob Wilson and to be told, you know, how the, the, the 1971 team spawned from the disgrace of losing to uh, Swindon in the 1969 League Cup final. And how Frank McClintock wanted to kind of ram it down the precious throats that they were called the shame of London. I think as well, um, um, Jamie Carragher being a one club man at, um, at Liverpool mm, and, yeah. and elaborating on his um, on his England um, adventures where he, he said something that really stuck out to me when I spoke to him. He said that they were often labelled as the golden generation. He said but people forget how good other countries were at that time. And you know, Italy and France had some wonderful, wonderful football teams at that time. So it was it was great to uh, speak to him. Graham Potter as well, when he was in charge of ostersons. It was really interesting to hear about his playing career with Southampton and um, and what he wanted to achieve with ostersons You know, he had um, he had ambitions to take them into the Champions League, and then he goes to uh, become um, uh, taking the steps there to go uh, into, into English football and and make the progression that he wanted to do, but also interviewing uh, Dutch players as well. But uh, the lawyer, you know, he gave me such a wonderful compliment. You know, and he said, oh, James, you're a real professional, aren't you? I said, yes, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's wonderful to be able to interview Dutch players and managers in their mother tongue and Spanish players and managers in their mother tongue as well, because you get so much more out of them. I mean, um, just to give you an example, there has been uh, there was a recent Sky Sports video on Louis Van Gaal's um, translation of his press conference from yesterday. And even though I watched the original, my translation and the translation of the guy doing the voiceover is is two completely different things. And it really is, it really is so important. I mean, obviously the sky sports video goes around the world and my translation might only be written, but obviously I've, I've been here almost two decades. So, of course, you're going to get it absolutely spot on. But also the nuance and what exactly is said and making sure that you go above and beyond at all times. But, um, yeah, there's been some wonderful interviews through the years. And um, also recently spoke to Willie Orban as well, who's um, the, uh, a um, defender at Ebbe Leipzig in Germany. Yeah,
2: and, um, you and know, he the top was
1: side. About, he was saying about his time at Kaiserslautern and Leipzig. And he was capped by Germany at a youth level. And he was yeah. saying that um, he changed to Hungary because of the pride of, of his of his father's nation, you know, yeah. to make his, to make his father proud. And he was saying yeah. that they was in a. Uh, they were in a group of deaf in the Euros, and they did very, very well.
0: Very well, yeah.
1: And um, yes, yeah, so lots and lots of different ones, but always nice to look back on a great portfolio. And, uh, mm. and and looking ahead to the future, you know, I look forward to hopefully working on the on the media side of a professional club one day. You know, helping Oh yeah, definitely. That needs
0: to same here, same here, James.
1: Help, help, helping with any helping with any any translation that needs to be done. What I've, what I would love to do is you've got a. Got, you've got different positions, like for example, loan manager. You know where they keep an eye on all the players that are out on loan in different countries. Or, for example, you um, get a job at Aston Villa, and there's a, yeah. a young Dutch family coming from I know you, and you're mm. able to give them a tour of Villa Park and let them know the ins and outs of the club in mm. their mother tongue. Yeah, and it would, yeah. Just, could well be decisive. So, um, it's just about making sure that uh, you keep working hard, and we shall see what the future will
0: bring. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's, it's amazing what you've done like, to this day, and plus the fact that you're bilingual and you're an expat in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. being you expat over from the UK, so it's like mm-hmm. best of both worlds, isn't it, for yourself?
1: Ab- absolutely, but also <clears throat> it's very important to remain modest at all times. It's always yeah. important to remember, I remember the early days going to uh, p- places in the Netherlands that Dutch people don't even know, to Venlo, cool. to speak to the their manager, Maurice Stein, who's linked with Ipswich, to... Um, that's all, Venlo is all the way down near the German border. Going to Hettenchembosch to interview um, William Flut, who uh, managed Erle Den Haag and Sparta Rotterdam. Also um, to us um, to interview uh, the top Os manager when they was in the in the second division. So um, yeah, some wonderful mm-hmm. stories. But it's always about making sure that you uh, you do everybody justice and that you you follow you follow your heart and you you make sure that you have the courage to ask ask different questions. Like I, I remember I spoke to do either of you guys remember Rule Fox, who played for uh, Newcastle and Tottenham and Norwich.
0: Oh, what years were those? I'm not sure.
1: Yeah. Well I interviewed him and I, I asked him about playing international football for Montserrat. And he said, James oh. he, said, he said Oh Montserrat. Yeah, he said, James, when oh. I woke up in this when I woke up this morning he said, Never in a million years did I think you'd ask me that. I said, Well you've got <laughs> so many well, you've got so many football writers trying to get into such a small space it's about yeah. trying to stand out. And it's like with Maurice Stein, exactly. for example, I, I, I arrived at the reception of Faith and Faith Enloe to speak to the manager. And um, I was sitting in the reception area and he came come up to me. He said, James, let's go into my office. I'm like, okay, lovely. <laughs> and above his, above his desk was a, was a, a huge framed photo with uh, Jose Mourinho. I wow. said, um, I said uh, can you tell me a little bit about that photo, you and Jose Mourinho? He said, yeah, he said, James, um, when you want to become a professional football manager, you have to do like an internship at a a professional club. He said, and due to my friendship with Ruud van Nistelrooy, I managed to get in to spend two weeks at Real Madrid, he said. And uh, he said, it's just absolutely amazing dealing with the press, Mm. dealing with the players, dealing with everything. So um, yeah, that was a a very special uh, interview. Morris Stein will become manager of Sparta Rotterdam next season, who are the the oldest club in the Netherlands. So I'm really looking forward to Uh seeing how he's going to do because I think he's. uh, I'm not trying to compare him to um, the Chris Wilder, but I, I, I remember I remember being told by Andy Campbell, who dealt with Chris Wilder at Halifax, and this was when Chris Wilder was out of work. Andy Campbell said to me that the next club that gets Chris Wilder we'll see the best of him because he will be like a, it'll uh, be like a um, once bitten tr- a twice shy. You'll you'll really see the best of him because he will be like mm. possessed. And I think with um, Maurice Stein as well, although there's a, there's a difference between Maurice Stein and Chris Wilder, I think you'll see next season uh, the best of Maurice Stein as well.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Obviously, you've got some great uh, journalistic insider knowledge as well as some great tips there as well as he's saying about standing out things like that. So that's Thank wonderful. you very much. Yeah, really enjoyed
1: welcome. it. I hope you. I hope you and everybody listening did too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, have you got any questions left, Arvin, or shall I finish up?
2: No, I haven't. I just went. I just appreciated the comment earlier about um looking at the human side of sport as well. I think that's what we've we tried to do with this podcast as well, and yeah, everything definitely. we've tried to uh, create has been looking at it from a human perspective as well. Hmm. Yeah.
1: It's it's very important, and it's, it's just it's just the small details in that respect. Mm. And making sure that you do everybody justice, and uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see what the future will bring.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, and um, also, how do you think uh, broadcasting rights and uh, how, uh, finances have ex- affected sport as we you know? For example, you had Mikel Atta recently, and other managers complaining about this causing hectic schedules for matches.
1: Well, um I think that um, obviously COVID has been um, COVID has been uh, yeah. uh, difficult for everybody. But Arsenal have only played, I think, seven games since January. Cardiff, Cardiff City have played 13. Man United have played 10. Oh, What's wow. you know, so <laughs> they, happening, they Mikael? Yeah, they, they need to kind of be careful what they say. Yeah. In terms of broadcasting, we see with the YouTube generation in particular, you've even got some... I would describe them as... Um, well, um, how would I describe them? Um, uh, um, some b- brave YouTubers <laughs> who, will, who 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 will proclaim on big podcasts that they don't have a lot of of knowledge about certain players managers or clubs and i think that's very that's a very dangerous thing to do because when you are eye and eye with a professional there's nothing more that the professional loves more than receiving a fantastic question that they didn't expect and Mm. um you know when you've got young youtubers being in a privileged position of speaking to players and managers but yet, yeah, openly saying on different podcasts that they wasn't prepared, that they didn't know, you would think being in that position that they would go out of their way to make sure that they do know. It's vitally, yeah. it's vitally important. We see with the, the spoken media, this is as important as the written media. So it's about making sure that you get um, that you get your your house in order. I mean, I, I get overtures to to go onto YouTube almost every day of the week, and I mm. try to explain to people that. It would take away from my interviews because when I interview Dutch players and managers, I don't speak to them in English, everything's done in Dutch. When I speak to Spanish players and managers, I don't speak to them in English, everything's done in Spanish. And to translate it into English in a written sense takes a very, very short time indeed. So um, whereas in a a YouTube sense, only one particular country could enjoy it in the first instance and you want everybody to be able to enjoy it.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a good angle to look at it, to be fair. Hmm. Yeah, so I've got one final question. Obviously, we're just speaking about the humanitarian side of sports, so not just mm-hmm. obviously, uh, you know, the playing side of things as we have done. So, uh, what, uh, what do you make of the controversial anti-vaccine movement within sport, such as with Novak Djokovic's reluctance and to sacrifice his you know, competitiveness in playing tennis due to it? And how do you think the COVID pandemic has in- impacted sport overall going forward? I think
1: it has uh, impacted it a lot, especially financially. Yeah. But you, 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 all you would hope is that they would give the sports. Uh, man or sportswoman, um, the responsibility to, t- uh, to take responsibility for their own actions. If they yeah. do not wish to be vaccinated, that is their choice. Yeah. If they um, if they do want to be vaccinated, that is also their choice. You know, people have to take responsibility for what they do. And uh, but as you say, the, the politics creeping into different things. I mean, no, nobody, Again, saw, yeah. nobody saw nobody um, saw foresaw a situation where um, we would be in this position. And, but hopefully yeah. we're coming out of it now and you would hope yeah. that people would learn the lessons as well just, just learn the lessons and, and next time a pandemic breaks out close the borders worldwide yeah. in one month Yeah. And, exactly. only have re, and only have repatriation flights and then compensate the people on repatriation flights and educate those people as to what's happening but um, obviously um, you'd like to think they'll learn for the future in that respect
0: yeah, I think we are so excited to come back with it, especially with this season, fans coming back to grounds and yeah. finances not affecting things like transfers as much as it did the last mm. two years. Absolutely. So that's all. Yeah. Was, sorry, what were you saying, James? Carry on.
1: No, absolutely. It's very important. And also with, with transfers, you know, lots of fans, particularly Arsenal fans, oh, he's yeah. only worth £30 it must be rubbish. We need to understand that <laughs> some fans <laughs> need to understand buying is not the only solution is yeah. not the only solution you know it's always best to use your youth academy it's always best to make sure that you can you can give young players a chance I mean if you look at um, Luke Ayling for example scored the winner at Leeds came through at Arsenal you know yeah. um, many many players as well that, that didn't quite make it that have gone elsewhere it's also important but um, you know don't be laid by the price tag the price tag is just a, a pure indication and a sign of the times so, you know, it's about supporting players through thick and thin. And also, like me with Mark Albrighton, he's one of the best footballers I know. And I've, yeah. he's one of the best I've seen, especially in the modern era, in terms of hard work, hard work dedication and effort. He's an absolute credit to his craft.
2: Mm. But he has not yeah.
1: one single England game, not one single England cap, which is that's ridiculous, isn't it? It is, yeah, considering, him, well. considering what he's won and what he can still do. And um, you know, it's a brilliant footballer. Credit to his craft as well and his profession. But I always say to people, uh, regardless of age, regardless of background, if there is a player that you like, that you really rate, and you think he's brilliant, or you think she's brilliant, stick with him. Stick with him. And if if people say to me, oh, if people say to you, oh, they're rubbish, forget about their opinion. It's your opinion that counts. And if you follow a player and you think he's really, really good, then stick with him. Or her, and watch their career grow, and then you can always be—you um, can always be vindicated at the end in that respect.
2: Yeah, yeah, excellent. So um, that's all from me. Anything from you, Owen, to close up? No, I just wanted to say thank you very much for your time. We really do appreciate it. You're more yeah, than thank welcome. you very much, James.
1: And I look forward to speaking again in the future.
2: Definitely, yeah, definitely. Very uh,
0: insightful and interesting podcast uh, there yeah, from you. Really appreciate thank it. You. Thank you very much.
1: You're more than welcome. Look forward to next time.
0: Yeah, next time. Thank yeah, you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye bye.